Hey everyone, Sam here with a quick pre-episode announcement, and the announcement is that I know the audio in this episode is not super good. Uh, You see, we we messed up the settings, or my mic is not working. We're investigating several different paths for improving it moving forward, Um, so I apologize that my end of the recording sounds a little garbled, uh, but I think it's still listenable, and uh, I promise to do better next time. All right, enjoy the episode. Ver- verbal action. Here we go. One, two, three. Hello. Hello. Maxwell, are you there? I'm here. Is that your 1920s radio right. voice? <laughs> <laughs> yes. By Jove. Welcome to Fields of Work. I'm going to stop now. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. How's it going? It's going pretty good. A little tired. A little sunburned. Same old, same old. <laughs> hmm. It's like you work outside all day or something. Yeah, it's part of it for sure. The sunburn was just, you know what? I can't talk about this every week because it's going to be a weekly thing it seems yeah. like. But it's done, it's done happened again. Again? What did you burn this time? Oh, a little bit more. I've done the shoulders once this year. This is more back of the shoulders. I wore I was wearing a cool cut-off sleeve shirt because, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I didn't put any sunscreen on, and I burned a whole new uh, crescent shape in my back. So that was sweet. That's cool. You probably got some good patterns going on. Oh, yeah. I've got some crazy patterns going on. I look ridiculous um, combined with my my sandal tan line and my burnt not my burnt thighs but my weirdly tan thighs mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the weird tan i have at the top of my jeans but like my lower back where your shirt rides up when you're planting but you still somehow get burned and then you have a farmer tramp stamp so <laughs> that i got called? i i call it that and that's what i've got <laughs> going on now uh that's gross and i'm having way too easy of a time picturing it oh yeah yeah so that's but my arms are gold my arms look great my forearms look really All good. Right. All right. <laughs> well, should we do some follow-up? We can do some follow-up. What's the main follow-up? I don't actually have any follow-up other than the podcast is obviously out now. And if you're listening to it, that means, I mean, you know, you found it. You found it. Good job. Uh, the sound quality on the first two episodes is a little iffy, uh, mainly because of me, because I move around too much when I talk. Uh, but it'll get better. We'll get better at this. I'm, I'm pretty sure we will. Uh, what we will not get better at is editing because I refuse to edit this podcast. Yeah, this is really natural. It's all natural. It's like you're here talking with us. We won't it's, cut anything out. It's all natural like uh, like the good hot dogs. Mm-hmm. Which, that's pretty gross. Nothing good. <laughs> Nothing good going on in the hot dog, but I guess whoa, it's natural. Whoa. Whoa. Hold on a second. I didn't think we were going to get derailed this early on. Are you hating on hot dogs? No, I, I love hot dogs. I will eat many a hot dog. I'm just saying that I'm pretty sure they're not made of the choicest choicest meat. That's prob- That's very true. Okay. Uh, do you no, have I any, like hot dogs. Do you have any follow-up? Uh, to stuff we talked about, we can do what, get lamb, lamb corner out of the way, lamb update. Yeah, give me, give me, hit me with a quick lamb update. It was a big week for the lambs. Um... Oh, yeah, because they were going to get their eyes checked, right? You guys yeah, are doing they, cute little eye exams where you sit them down in a chair and you put up a chart and they say the letters and you give them you give them Lambie Parker glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly no. It's a lot grosser than that. Um, really? I actually didn't have to do it, um, but it's called a Famacha test. 
which sounds like a good Whoa. type of bread, doesn't I was it? I supposed to say it sounds like a bread. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we gave them the FAMACHA test, which is basically where you check their eyes, specifically the whites of their eyes, to see what color and if there's kind of a discoloration. And you're looking for basically signs of anemia, and uh, there's a that means they have a blood-sucking parasite, and you have to give them medicine. Um, but all of our, our lambies came back good. There was only one that was kind of suspect that we're, they're like keeping an eye on. But for the most part, they all scored pretty well. It wasn't it wasn't my boy so, Andre, was it? No, I don't think it was Andre. Um, we've named up to I think there's like three names now between Andre and William. And uh, <laughs> William, <laughs> come on, William. And then uh, one's called Doily because that was my coworker named her, uh, or I guess it's him. Uh, Wait, it's a boy it's a named black... Doily. Yeah, it's not a good name, but it's a black lamb with like a white speckling on his face. Um, looks like he got a doily thrown over his face. What happened to not <laughs> naming these uh, animals, which are going to be butchered and turned into food? Well, what also happened to not talking about them weekly in front of lots of people to to really remember the the lambs? So when the the slaughter comes, it's a lot harder. I but, never committed to not doing that. But here we are. Um, <laughs> So what else happened? Oh, so that was big. You know, they're all healthy. Um, one of them did break out on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> went for a little, went for a little stroll. Um, he basically, we were in there earlier in the day, and then actually, I was sitting in my apartment, and my boss called me. She wasn't even home, but one of the restaurant managers was told by one of the customers that a lamb was out around the farm, <laughs> and so they somehow managed to actually get it back. Not the person, but the some someone from the restaurant managed to get the lamb back into the pasture, which is pretty impressive, honestly. And then by the time I got up there, I just had to close up the hole and count to make sure they were all still there. Hmm. But yeah, I was really hoping you would get to play shepherd and like go chase it down and like sling it over your back, like some sort yeah. of like Bible man. Mm-hmm. No, instead there's they love grain so much now that all I have to do is grab a bucket of grain and just shake it a little bit, and they all come running. Nice. So. So they didn't take long to train them. <laughs> so they're not uh, super afraid of you anymore. No, and to the point where we, we finally got them to eat out of our hand when Haley and I went up there. So we've gotten close with them now. Wow. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, has the markings of a tragic relationship. Sure does. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's going to be bad. I guess I have, a new, I have a new question about the lambs. Well, before yeah. they get slaughtered, do you take their fur? Or wool? Uh, no. Wool? <laughs> not fur. No, it's... <laughs> No, we're not gonna take the lamb, the lamb fur. Um, Why? I think it actually has to do with breed, and these ones don't actually have much of a uh, like a pelt to to shave off. You know, um, they're mainly a, a breed for meat, so I think that's part of it. What about their um, skin? I also don't think, what? What about their skin? The skin? Yeah. Is is I mean I don't think we're gonna do anything with the lamb skin, Sam. It's not part of our. We don't like killing them to begin with. I don't think if I was walking around, if all the farmers are wearing lambskin boots. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think you should. Like hats or something. I think that's up for the, the nice people over at Bloods to take care of. Hmm. All right. Our, <laughs> um, pig update, they come next week. I'll keep you updated on, on right. the, the piggy boys. Cool. And then I think that's pretty much it from things that we've talked about before. So. All right. Cool. Things, things are going well. Cool beans. So what'd you do this week? And I guess it's been two weeks since we've talked, so if you want to extend the time frame a little bit, go for it. We're pretty much into a pretty consistent schedule at the farm now, which is Monday, Wednesday, Friday harvest um, for all the respective restaurants. So 
nothing too crazy there except for I feel like now I'm spending so much time picking strawberries, which is, you know, a, a nice, like, one of the things you can pick while you're out on the farm and eat it and feel like it's a good snack. I was to say, if At I least, was picking strawberries, I would be a sick, sick boy. I love strawberries. And these ones are, these are terrifyingly good strawberries. They are so sweet. But, um, so that's a lot of time put into picking those because those are a huge pain in the butt. You're bent over on the ground and they grow as about as close to the ground as they can physically get. And also they do a nice deceiving thing where the top of them turns red, but the bottom of them are still green. So you think that it's a good one and then you flip it around and it's not good. Mm. Um, so I spent a lot of time looking at strawberries that I'm, and not picking them, which is super frustrating. Um, we planted pretty much the whole farm is planted out now with, uh, for the season, there's some little stuff to put in, but we put sweet potatoes in, which is cool. Oh, sweet potatoes are um, hands down the best vegetable. Oh, uh, you and Haley, you guys could really have a lot to talk about. I eat, oh, and Emily too. We eat sweet potatoes almost every day. Yeah, for usually for Haley and I, it's three or four times a week. Put them in a microwave, uh, cut them up, roast them, put them in a stew, put them in yeah. a chili, make a burrito out of them. Make desserts out of them. You could do that. You can do pretty much pretty much anything with them. Um, so yeah, we're growing sweet potatoes, which is pretty cool. That'll be fun. That's not. It's a long time until we harvest those, though. Um, Will you send me one? Fall. Yeah, I'll send you one. I'm, I'm just gonna put a stamp on a sweet potato. That's the thing you can actually do. I think. <laughs> I I think it is, and fell right on in Sharpie in someone your direction. Well, I don't want Sharpie on it. I want to eat it. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll pin a little note to it so they know how to get it to you. Okay. Or I'll, t- or I'll tell my mailman. He'll take care of it personally. Yeah, I'm sure. That's um, how, I think that's how it works in <laughs> 2019. You just describe where it needs to go. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there's this guy with the beard. Yeah. Lives in. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know him. Yeah, 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 I know him. <laughs> um, and then last, I mean, we've done a bunch of little less exciting things to talk about, but um, we've been killing a lot of potato beetles. What the hell is, is a potato beetle? It's they're disgusting. They're like a orange and like light tan striped beetle that's you know I'm gonna like a june like, like a june bug size they're oh, not wait, giant wait they're june bug size june no, bugs are huge no, okay. okay maybe i chose the wrong bug no uh, japanese beetle i said the wrong uh, thing okay they're like a japanese beetle and they get all over plants that are in the solanaceae family like oh. we talked about before oh yeah i see they kind of look uh, like lady kind of like ladybugs they do and the, actually the eggs that they lay look like ladybug eggs but why does this picture of the one that I'm seeing look like it has like a fleshy sack on it? Oh, right. um, is that not your guys' type? I haven't seen a lot of fleshy sacks. Right. <laughs> ones we, but anyways, they they can really destroy anything, like from eggplant to potatoes to tomatoes. I mean, they'll find their way around to anything basically. Mm-hmm. And what you do is essentially you walk through the beds, knocking the beetles, the the hefty ones, into a, like a bucket or something. And then you just end up putting all those guys in like soapy water and letting them drown. Um, and then you're also flipping over every leaf on the plant, looking for these really bright orange eggs that they have, um, and squishing those with your thumb against the plant. Because essentially, if those hatch, they come out as the these gooey little brown prepubescent beetles, larva-looking things that really do all the damage to a plant. And once those start reproducing, it's it's bad news bears. And they can go through three or four life cycles in a summer. They they work quick, um, yeah. So it's a lot of like bending over and walking through and knocking beetles into buckets and squishing eggs and little larva ones with your thumb. They just, they actually dye stuff orange too, which is pretty gross. That's disgusting. 
Do you have like any uh, special, yes, that's te- the, the non- special technique for uh, you know finding and taking care of these beetles? Not really. I mean, you, the thing is, you just have to be thorough, though, no matter what, because they have no discretion to where they'll lay their eggs. That's always the underside of a leaf, but they'll do it to any like the you know the tiny leaves at the very bottom Wait, so to the to big ones or the new ones. You have to flip over every leaf on every plant of the potatoes. Yeah, you basically you stand over the bed and you bend over and first you knock you look for the beetles first because their go-to move usually you find two of them making love that's oh, always how it works there's always gross. two of them making love i really yeah, wish yeah. That, that, don't describe it like that making i don't want to love Ugh. i don't want to say curse words on our podcast but oh, anyways you could say <laughs> mating <laughs> that's about okay all right they're mating they're definitely not making love <laughs> but uh so you knock them. You have to knock them first because as soon as you touch the plant, they just do this thing where they get like they act like they're dead. They get paralyzed and they just fall over to the ground where they'll then reburrow into the ground. So you got to get them before they burrow because they'll just come back up. Um, and yeah, they're just like they're just little cowards. They play dead. But uh, so you get them first, and then you have to flip over. Yeah, you kind of like grab one side of the plant and try and flip it and look at all the leaves at once. Thank goodness their eggs are a bright color; otherwise, it'd be so hard to find them. Um, so they're like a super bright orange. They're hard to miss. And you do that for every plant, which is brutal. Or you could spray them with a pretty harsh pesticide, but we try to avoid doing that. All right. When possible, at least. So that's my that's my main farm update. Cool. Cool beans. How's your farm, farm life? My farm life? My farm life's pretty good. Uh, my plants, they're, they're all good boys. I watered them yesterday. Uh, they're all looking pretty, pretty strong, pretty happy. That's what they told me at least. I'm not here. I'm not going to lie. When I get new growth on my indoor plants that I take care of, I get very excited. Yeah. It's like an indoor plants. I think it's even more satisfying because it happens substantially slower. Yeah. I have like this cactus plant a couple weeks ago. It grew this like giant, I'm going to call it a plant wiener. Uh, kind of like straight up, and then a bunch of flowers uh, came out for like a day or two, and then they all fell off. It was pretty neat. You you do realize that, or at least what I have been told, is that when cactuses and stuff flower, it means they're getting ready to die. What? But, yeah, I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm just saying, it's usually them trying to like reproduce before they die. Well, it's, he's looking like a pretty big, strong boy right now. I'm sorry, I'm like l- turning away from my mic because I'm looking at him with with just love in my eyes. Uh, the big, okay. the big center like stalk that grew and all the flowers were on it died, but the okay. plant itself did not die. I mean, that now might not I'm, be true. Now I'm worried. I'd keep an eye on them for sure. I will. <laughs> so the, your your indoor plants are good. How's your work life? My work life, my work life's good. You know, doing uh, doing this, doing the damn thing. Gonna, that's it, huh? <laughs> that's how you boiled out two weeks of not talking. <laughs> just been out there doing the damn thing. Uh, I'm so bad at talking about my work. It feels so not interesting to me. You gotta, you gotta help. You gotta help me find the interesting things to talk about. Uh, right. So here, I mean, here's the main thing that I did. This is only in the past couple of days. Uh, and God, this might set the record for most boring podcast topic in the world. Uh, I totally revamped my task management system, uh, and that is a big deal for me because it kind of drives my life. That's really exciting. It is really exciting. I moved for a while. So at work, we use Trello for all the stuff that we do. And then 
I had been using uh, an app called Things for basically everything, but I was having to mirror some of the stuff that we were doing at Trello in Things manually, and that's it's never a good sign if you're having to like manually put in the same information in more than one spot. Uh, so I decided to try to move entirely over to Trello to keep track of what I need to be doing. So, you know, I'm only two days into it right now, but so far it seems to be working all right. It's like the great Trello experiment. Have you used it before for personal tasks and stuff or not really? Not really. No, we, we set like each project will set up a Trello board and, we have like the specific way that we set them up and each project board has a list of actions and projects that we need to take or take action on. Um, so the problem was that I had tasks living on multiple boards. So I figured out a way to mirror cards on multiple boards so that if I changed them on one board, it would change them on all the boards. So that way I was able to essentially mirror the project or mirror the cards that are on the project boards onto my own like personal task board uh, so i'm not having to like update things in multiple places and because i have so much going on you know probably a hundred projects um i need like this is an important it's an important part of my work is making sure that i have a system that i trust and that i feel like it has an entire encapsulation of everything that I that I need to do. Gotcha. I mean, that's. I mean, you said it might sound boring, but I can understand how that's a giant part of your work. It is pretty funny though to compare it to what our task management system <laughs> is, um, which is mainly a whiteboard on a wall, uh, uh, separated into the five days of the week, and we just write on what we're going to do that week on the board. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I am a huge fan of keeping things as simple as possible, and I. I've actually had um, approaches similar to that in other times in my life, uh, but it was when I it's when I was training to be a teacher that I realized that I needed something a little bit more robust because there was just so much stuff going on, and I think it's a really uncomfortable feeling to have a sense that there is something that you're supposed to be doing, but you're forgetting about it or something that you're supposed to be aware of and you're losing track of it. That's a really mm -hmm. uncomfortable feeling for me to have. So I needed a way to keep track of all of that stuff. And that's how I got interested in, in GTD, the getting things done approach. Um, so I've always been, well, not always, but basically since 2007 or so have been tinkering with the best way to keep tasks and projects um in some sort of system do you do you have a favorite before this was things kind of your go-to yeah i mean i've been a things man for a long 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 time um i've dabbled with some other ones i've used todoist and i've used omnifocus and i've used um one called to do uh, but they're all basically set up the same way with just some minor Variations, and I had settled on things uh, a while ago. So it, it actually feels legitimately weird to not be in things right now because I would use it multiple times every day. Um, but I need it was just even though things is a really well made app, I needed something that just integrated better with what I kind of have to use at at work. So I'm hoping I can become that comfortable with Trello for my individual stuff as well. That's exciting. You'll have to keep us yeah. updated on how it goes. That's right. I will probably because I care about this stuff and it's 
yeah, it's it's a sadly a very large part of my life. Otherwise, what else did I do? I facilitated a retro with some interns this week. I I taught them what's, what a retro is. And what's what's oh that's a retrospective. A that's retro, a... yeah, a retrospective, just a practice that we always recommend teams um, adopt, where every so often you stop for you know an hour and ask yourself how things are going and what's going well and what's not going well and what should we start doing differently what can we experiment with so i facilitated a retro with the interns and the two employees at the client who are kind of overseeing their intern program so that was fun and then i also facilitated a whole bunch of action meetings this week which is a specific type of meeting that we teach teams which is all about uh, kind of identifying the work that the team needs to do and unblocking uh, anybody on the team who feels like they can't move forward with whatever it is that they need to do. And it's this really structured meeting format that we teach uh, that we teach teams. So I have a handful of teams who are just starting to get into an action meeting rhythm. So that, I, that means I'm facilitating their meetings at least for a couple more weeks. So you were on site quite a bit this week? Yeah, I went into the client three times this week, I think. Yeah, that sounds they right. You, they hook you up with a cool office? <laughs> no, no. I always just grab an empty conference room, or usually when I'm on site, it means I'm actually in meetings anyway, so I'm just wherever the meetings are happening. Gotcha. I don't have a cool office. Not like my previous client in San Francisco where there was – uh, an empty executive office on one of the very top floors. So we got to take over that as like our home base and it had an incredible view of uh, one of the bridges and like the entire city with these huge windows. It was very fly. Yeah, that sounds really nice. I also kind of remember you saying that like sometimes there was one you did when you were in New York where you worked at like essentially the cafeteria. I was just about to say, like the a... project before that, <laughs> I worked in the cafeteria, which okay. not glamorous, but maybe the best place to hear unfiltered conversation about uh, the organization. That's true, actually. I'm sure you. that's where people are the least uh, worried about what they're saying, probably. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely got to hear all sorts of interesting and useful things while working in, in that cafeteria. This cafeteria, though, had the worst designed light fixtures because they were hanging from the ceiling, but they were really low. And the idea was that they would be over the table, so like out of the way. But the tables mm -hmm. were movable. So sometimes people had, would have moved the tables uh, to the wrong spot. And you wouldn't realize that you're basically – the light was like directly in your way. And I hit my head so many times on those gosh dang lights. Does, and they were does always everybody really stop what they're doing yep. and look at yep. you? <laughs> yep, because it's always very loud uh, and very disruptive. Nice. That's good. That's a good mental picture for me too. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and you were the kind of the weird guy that they're bringing in. You know, yeah. that wasn't actually from the company. Yeah, yeah, bringing, <laughs> bringing in this uh, you know big shot consultant. He can't even navigate the world without running into things. Um, did you? I feel like maybe this wasn't on the podcast. Maybe this was in your email that you sent out for the deliberate. Um, are you because you were thinking about getting rid of your uh, your office, right? Your co working space. Yeah, I'm still wrestling with that a little bit. I still have it right now, but I've feel like I've been underutilizing it. Um, but I don't know. I go back and forth. Like sometimes I'm really 
appreciative of having a space outside of my home office to work. But at the same time, I also really like my home office, which is where I am right now. And it has all my stuff and really nice bathroom and snacks. And, you know, I can play my music really loud and it's easy to take phone calls. It's pretty great. You had all your plants. Got all my plant boys here hanging out with me. You did tell you did say in the last one that sometimes you get distracted by just walking around. Yeah, you know, sometimes, sometimes there are things. <laughs> I'll go sit on the balcony for a while and you know watch uh, things happening in the park. Wow, that makes me sound like a creep. <laughs> yeah, kind of binoculars out? <laughs> no, no binoculars. I do in the evenings, just to give you a glimpse into my life. I sometimes will stand uh, in the windows by in our living room, which overlook a baseball field, and I will do play-by-play for the softball game. Uh, a beer like drop-in softball for like a, a corporate company or something. I, it's, it's some sort probably of like, like is it like good softball? League. No, I know it's like slow pitch. You know, just adult league softball it's like yeah the equivalent of beer league nice i think you uh that sounds like your next podcast <laughs> play by play of this of this random softball league yeah yep, that nobody can see yeah yeah and especially with my very rudimentary knowledge of softball and baseball it, it'll be a good listen change colorful language all right i can do that really doc really doc emmerich it up you know Oh, you mean colorful as in like really descriptive, not as in yeah. like uh, inappropriate. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of the way I meant. But both yeah. would be good, I guess. It depends on what kind of market you're after. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you want to uh, do you want to tackle like an actual topic for, I, uh, for once? Sure. I guess we could do that. Although I'm realizing I want to ask you about being in Boston after having the Boston Bruins lose Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. It's not really a work topic, but – Come on, this is a pretty lightly uh, structured podcast. Any, any, uh, how how is it being in the Boston area right now? Actually, I haven't been. It'd be almost a question more worth asking Haley because she's oh, closer yeah. to the city when she works. Yeah. Um. So for me out here, I haven't had to encounter it much. I did watch the game with my boss's boyfriend, who is a hockey player and, and grew up in Boston as a big Bruins fan. Um. Not like an in-your-face Bruins fan, but we went up to the bar at the restaurant right here to watch the game. And it was weirdly quiet up there. I don't know if everyone went home to watch it, but um, basically after the first the city, I guess. Yeah, and but I guess after the basically after the first period, the morale was incredibly yeah. low, and by the end of the second period, no one was left in the bar except for me and him. Um, and basically, I didn't get to witness like the pandemonium of like what the, what them losing was like closer to the city. Yeah. Um, I did hear from him that people were lining up crazy early, you know, to go to the downtown and be around the city for the game. But, uh, you yeah. know, I'll say that it was definitely worth it just to see the Brad Marchant crying, uh, uh-huh. Jeff. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. But <laughs> I haven't actually had to experience too much of the, the full on right. sadness that hit people, but I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was, it was tasty as a yeah. Red Wings fan. That's right. And if you are a Boston Bruins fan listening to this podcast, we apologize, but also nah. suck it. Also very unlikely so far. <laughs> also, I don't really care that much anyway. It's not like I'm a Blues fan. So, I mean, yeah, our team I mean, didn't even make the playoffs. So, that's, I became a Blues fan just for the finals. But yeah. I, I kind of felt the same way. It was kind of a lackluster game, though. I like to, I like I to tell like. my – well, unless you're a Jordan Bennington fan. I like to tell myself that I kind of look like Ryan O'Reilly. I can see it for sure. Nice. He's a handsome boy. I, 
he is a handsome boy, but he I heard he he plays guitar and he's kind of just like the, the most a, a big gentleman according yeah. to some well, of the other things I've heard. I guess I am just exactly like him. He did get a DUI for crashing into a Tim Hortons. <laughs> what? So okay, well I have you didn't know that. that. No, I don't think I knew How'd you that. avoid that story? That was like all the news yesterday or before the game because he uh the news story before that was that he had bought some random guy a guitar yeah. in Boston. Well, and yeah, I guess I heard Boston, that part. Boston sports commentators and stuff must have really dug deep and found out that when he was in Ontario or something, maybe it was when he was in the NHL, I'm not sure who he was playing for, he got a DUI or crashing into and he crashed into Tim Hortons. Okay. So. All right. Well let's get back on let's get back on topic here. <laughs> Uh, what, what I mean, what do you want to talk about? I have a, a topic here we could talk about, but we can do anything else too. I don't know if you had something else in mind. No, that's fine. Did you text I, me the other day and say you had all sorts of updates? Did we cover those? We covered them all. We didn't talk about my my big my big boy hike that I did all on my own a couple oh, weekends ago. But yeah, we can end on that or something if you want. Tell no, tell us about your big boy hike. Okay, uh, it was two weekends ago, I guess at this point. Okay. Um, a big boy hiked up in the up in the White Mountains, which are up in New Hampshire. What exactly uh, is a big boy hike? It was me going on a solo hike that I knew was eight miles long and involved summiting a five thousand foot peak. So I knew it was going to be like not a real casual hike. So I kind of went into it anticipating a little bit of like intense trail. I had no idea actually like what level it was. My coworkers tried to like give me an idea what it was going to be like because I've never really hiked much except for casually in colorado one time when i visited and another time and, and plus we don't really have any meaningful hills in michigan yeah exactly i think i looked up the porcupine mountains in the up are like two thousand feet at the peak so it's a little a little different so that's what i kind of meant by that um okay and so it was going to be i knew it was going to be like a, a an all morning you know a four to six hour affair um usually it's like six hours for people to do this loop but also i've heard that like you run into people that are like in their sixties and seventies doing this, so it's not like I'm gonna like I'm like scaling walls or anything to get up to this peak. But um, so yeah, a, a two-hour drive or so up into New Hampshire. Um, did not realize they were that close or that they were gonna be that mountainy. Um, you should look up some pictures. It's pretty incredible. I mean, they're all the peaks are like four to five thousand feet. There's I mean, forty-eight. I think that's 40. the mountain range that I went skiing in. It is, yeah. So it is the same one. Um, but it is like you drive into the valley and you're surrounded on you know. Mm-hmm. peaks on both sides it's very very gorgeous um so i, I woke up at 4 45 because i wanted to hit the trail by seven ish to get on the trail because i thought it might be really busy and i don't really like hiking a narrow trail where you're constantly passing people or getting past right kind of takes away from the the effect of it um so i started like around 7 20 or so and then it turned out to be a way more intense hike than i was anticipating right. um yeah. Well, also it was. I knew it was gonna be colder up there, but probably when I started the hike, it was like 45, 50 oh. degrees maybe. Um, I was dressed kind of like a, a doofus too. I, uh, I mean, it wasn't even like that. I, it's probably that I didn't have good hiking gear, but I was wearing like running leggings and then running shorts because I wanted to be able to like, you know, take long strides and like you know step up on rocks and stuff and not be like restricted very much. But I did look really silly. I think. Um, <laughs> I think so. But whatever. No one was with me. It doesn't matter. I did have someone ask me, oh, you're running the trail? I was like, no, not running it. Um, <laughs> just looking anyways, like a doofus. Just looking like a doofus, looking like I'm from out of state, yeah. and uh, which definitely many people asked me if I was from out of state. Um, so I guess I give off that vibe. <laughs> yeah, but, that, uh, that, that clueless vibe? <laughs> yeah. I look like, I'm looking like the scene from Elf when he's walking through Central Park. I'm taking those like crazy long strides and just like, looking both directions. And 
But anyways, so yeah, the the hike itself was pretty intense. It starts out like fairly leisurely. It's a loop that involves summiting three total peaks. So you go up a mountain called Mount Little Haystack, which is over 4,000 feet, just over or so. And then you do a ridge climb. Basically, you're at the peak of that one, but you're above the tree line and everything. So it's you're pretty high up there, very rocky. And then you walk along the ridge and climb up to the next one, which is Mount Lincoln, which is like a half mile hike from one peak to the other. But you climb up towards about over 5,000 feet from that one. And then from that one to Mount Lafayette, which is the highest one and one of the highest peaks in the Whites. And then you go down from there, um, descend basically all the way back down to where I uh, parked for the morning. How long did it take you? It only took me four hours and ten minutes. Taking those um, big strides. The, the span I, was worth it. I, I was taking very big strides. And I think it was partly because I was like, I, don't, I just had a lot of adrenaline when I started in the morning. Um, and I was hiking solo. So I was not like I was like talking to people very often or anything. So I was kind of just like cruising along, um, which was very zen. I actually really much, very much enjoyed the hike. Um, you did run into a lot of people on the way down, actually. A lot of people were starting to come out for the hike around like noon. But um, it was, yeah, it was way more rugged than I had ever anticipated. Um, the mountains are known for being incredibly rocky. Um, they are trails that are, you need to watch your feet the entire time, basically. Um, you do, the beginning I crossed three rivers, basically. Nothing too crazy, like rushing-wise, but crossed three rivers. And then once you start going up, I mean, you're, the trail is at like a 45-degree angle. What? And you're That's climbing. You're, you're climbing over just like. And it's very windy, and you're climbing up rocks, and you're climbing up tree, you know, grabbing trees to help yourself up. And um, it was just like doing a stairmaster, like you know, all the way to the top, but having to watch your feet really closely. And then, but once you break the tree line and get up above, it was gorgeous. I mean, it was kind of hazy out; wasn't super clear skies, but you get like a really good view of the entire valley. Um, the ridge climb is really fun. One because it's not that much vertical climbing, so it's an easy hike. Right. But you're also you feel kind of like you're in Lord of the Rings or something. You're, you're walking from one peak to the other. Um, See the just, orcs. You know, no, no orcs. Just a guy from Ohio. Ew, mm. but no, for real, I did. <laughs> um, I met a couple of people up there and chatted with people. And then honestly, the uh, the descent was way harder than I anticipated. Oh yeah, um, wrecks your quads. It does, and your your ankles and your just like your knees. The impact of every step down and the climb from Lafayette down to the tree line is incredibly bouldery and you're actually going, it's hard to tell where the trail is. So you're following cairns that the trail people have built to try and tell you where to go basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're kind of following those all the way down. Then there's a little cat, there's a little, uh, hut you can stop at to drink coffee and like go to the bathroom and stuff and just hang out for a second. So I hung out there and then I finished kind of power powered through the end of it. But, uh, I think it was end up being like an eight and a half mile hike total. Um, it was cool. Totally, totally worth it. It was very intense. I was very, very exhausted. I ate like an entire sleeve of Chips Ahoy cookies when I got home. <laughs> and then I followed that up with multiple bowls of um, cookie crisp. I was in a cookie mood. <laughs> Gosh, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I have this image in my mind of you being like you're this farmer guy and you're working with vegetables all day long and you're making this big old like farmer vegetable breakfast and but no you're just an idiot you're an idiot just like me 
I mean, okay, I burned a lot of calories. I needed to get a lot of calories back in me, so I did the best way I knew how, which is chips ahoy cookies. Yeah, I know. I'm just like <laughs> sometimes I picture you as like a really young Grandpa Bill, and Grandpa Bill would not come home and eat a sleeve of chips ahoy cookies. No, he wouldn't have. But you know what? I wasn't gonna sit around and eat like a bunch of carrots or something. So, but it was good. It was a good hike. All right. It was. It was hopefully, we'll do it. Hopefully, we'll do it again or another one of those trails soon. So, Neat. it was exciting. Good job. But now we can talk about the real talk. That's all my follow up. Actually, that's all I got. All right. Cool. Well, I mean, we are, we're at thirty six minutes. I guess we can go a few a few minutes longer. I just grabbed a topic kind of at random out of our our list here, and it's uh, what has your farming education been like? I know you've done like a program, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what kind of your educational background into farming has been. Yeah. I mean, so people always, I've actually been having this conversation quite a bit recently because we had two new people start at the farm. And basically anytime someone starts at the farm, you have to explain a little bit of your, how you got into farming. Cause right. everyone, everyone seems to come from really, really diverse hmm. backgrounds into farming. Um, very rarely do I run into somebody that has a sustainable agriculture, or, um, anything related really to farming. I mean, I'm working with some people that have, you know, that were teachers for a while, um, people have been chefs, people that have done a lot of different stuff like that. Um, you know, a lot of liberal arts degrees and things like that, or a political science degree. Um, some of them, so are, some of them are sheep. Yeah. Some of them are sheep. <laughs> haven't even gone to college. Yeah. Um, so for me, I mean, I, uh, I guess it's worth mentioning that like, I did go to college for one year, but I wasn't going in for, for farming. I was doing a uh, double major in forestry and wildlife ecology management. I mean, isn't which, forestry just farming trees? I mean, honestly, kind of, but it's, uh, <laughs> and you know, as far as meeting farmers has gone, it's a, you know, it correlates as well as some of the other degrees I've heard. Um, but I only did that for a year and it was really expensive and I wasn't super stoked about the idea of some of the, the careers I would have with that degree or that I was kind of meeting people that were with foresters and what their job was. Yeah, what I, just a, to be I mean, not to get you off your story, but what what were those careers? What were they doing? Um, it's really common to be a wildfire fighter fighter, actually, which is probably one of the more exciting things that foresters do because there is a lot of uh, understanding of the actual you know forest uh, layout for being a firefighter. But more common was you would work for a logging company or something like that, and you'd do a lot of basically forest management plans where you would walk through a parcel that somebody wanted to log and you'd be going through and marking one, marking the trees, but then going back to sit down behind a desk for four days a week and kind of write up the actual management plan for what needs to be planted, you know, what to look out for, how many board feet are they cutting, um, et cetera, things like that. So it wasn't really like five days a week in the field, um, in some way, shape or form, which is kind of what I was looking for. Um, but I also hadn't really done much research before I enrolled. Um, so those were the few that I had like heard of basically using that degree. Um, so after my first year there at Michigan tech, I decided to, to drop out. I do um, remember that while you were in that degree and shortly thereafter, our favorite thing was just to point up plants and ask you to tell us what it's called. I know. And actually that was probably my favorite part of being a, of being in a forestry uh, degree was that I did know a lot of Latin names. I'd be able to, it's really fun to go on a hike with and super obnoxious, but. Yeah, it's um, fun or terrible. Yeah, fun exactly. For you, maybe. So, <laughs> but uh, no, I, that's a skill that I've lost. I would not say I'm very good at that anymore. Um, but now I know like plant families, so I've kind of swapped it out. But um, 
so after that, I mean, and our family experience of farming isn't very, you know, uh, we had a big garden growing up, I guess, you know, and, um, visiting our grandparents in Kentucky where they had a even larger garden and there was a lot more farming and it felt more, obviously more rural and farmery when we were down there, but still not like we were working on farms ever. I don't remember. Um, you bailed some hay. Yeah, well, so you bailed some hay once and almost died. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a story. I feel like we should probably tell in greater detail. I did almost die bailing hay. Uh, but I wanted to ask a question real quick before. I mean, I don't remember were you like really into our garden prior to like going off to college? I don't remember you being like, like being out there and like really helping mom and dad a lot. Thanks, Ben. Um, no, I mean, no, I'm not really. It's, it's an honest question. Cause I don't, I don't, cause I remember like you getting into farming was kind of coming out of college and it's not like you went to college being like, Oh, and Max is always out in the garden doing farmery yeah. stuff. Like you came to I, it later. I always had like, you know, an affinity for being outdoors in general and being like, you know, when we were down in Kentucky, like being around grandpa when he was doing that stuff, but I wasn't like the first to jump in and like start weeding or something. Or right. I think Nate and I started I'm trying to think what was I in high school still when we started, like we rebuilt the garden in the backyard and stuff. Right. I think I was starting okay. to get more interested in it again. Yeah. Um, and you were obviously more interested in it than any of your other brothers, except for Nate, probably like me and Joey and Louie, like we were not trying to like beat you to the garden. That's for sure. Yeah, and I don't. I really feel like I need to think harder about. Did I read something? Did I watch something that really caused like the interest in small scale farming? You know, did I, like, mm-hmm. I can't remember if I read a book where someone, you know, like there had to have been something that I felt like that tipped me off to that. Unless I was just through the internet and things, seeing a little bit of the farming movement or seeing hearing about things like that. You know, I wonder um, if was there. I mean, because I know urban farming has been kind of a big deal in the Detroit area. I wonder if maybe you heard about it through that. It's definitely possible, and it might have been. Yeah, I'm trying to think because even when I was in, I was at Avondale when I was still like in senior year, junior year. I had the idea where I was working for a little while with one of the teachers on um, potentially like starting an Avondale farm with a piece of property they had, mm-hmm. and that was still when I was in school. So, but yeah, I don't okay. really honestly remember what what tipped that off gotcha. um, so anyways I was basically deciding not to go back to school for the second year and um, I had been working for like Parks and Rec and I was like well I should just um, I said that I wanted to like you know I was interested in farming I should just look to see if there's any farms like that near us on a whim kind of just like was Google searching I think sustainable farms Michigan or something you know jobs mm-hmm. um, and the, the farm in Ann Arbor came up uh, Sealy Farm and their posting was from like March and I just emailed them and was like, you know, I'd like to, if you guys, any chance you guys are hiring. And luckily for me, someone had just, well, maybe unluckily, who knows, someone had just quit. Mm. Um, and so I went out and visited, met them and they seemed to be ready and need someone right away. So I just kind of jumped on and started working basically August to November of that year um, and enjoyed it. So most of my farming education, this is a roundabout way of saying this, has has stemmed from just working on the farm itself um, because there's only so much you can learn from reading about farming or watching videos or right. being in a classroom. Um, I mean, especially when everyone does it so differently, but you can kind of learn the basics from just being on a farm and asking a thousand questions. And that's kind of what it boiled down to once I started was that I was just interested for once really interested in what I was doing for work and um being mentored by two people that were very interested in what they were doing and more than willing to kind of you know, teach me about everything involved so you know I got to start driving the tractor my second year there um 
got to start seeing the full process from start to finish. You know, I started that year in March, so I got to kind of see it from the beginning. And um, that was the main stem of my my education into it, um, minus the occasional book that I'd pick up and read about farming. Mm-hmm. But there's only, again, there's only so much you can get from a book about it. Um, and then once I discovered that that program at Michigan State existed, um, I started to kind of probe into it a little bit. And what was the program? So originally when I applied for it, um, it was a five day a week, eight hours a day. Like you're working on the farm, you're taking classes as well, or there's classroom time. Um, there's a 15 acre actually organic farm at Michigan state that they do all this at. Um, but so you would be kind of balancing the two, you'd be working on the farm and it would basically be like an apprenticeship, but you were paying a lot of pocket to do it. Hmm. And they discovered that People were not really into that because it's you know, farmers are not notorious for making a lot of money, and a thirteen thousand right. dollar program is a lot to ask for someone to work for you too. Not you know, sure they're learning, but yeah. they could also do what I did, which was just work on a farm and ask questions and learn very similar things. Right. So they got rid of that program because um, I originally was going to enroll in that one, and then I was like, I just can't get that money together. Um, and lucky for me, like the next year, they decided to start a new program which was one day a week and they were just doing Fridays, eight hours at the farm at Michigan state, which gave me the opportunity to basically continue working on the farm in Ann Arbor, but then go here for Fridays. Um, and it was definitely a thing where they were trial and erroring and trying to figure out how to do this program to make it, um, worth it for people. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't feel that expensive anymore. They cut the cost in like about a quarter of the cost probably. And what it basically ended up being was, it was geared at people that wanted to start a business in organic farming, wanted to start a farm, something farm adjacent, that it would help to know the business side of things, the science side of things, see a working one in action, visit ones that were working. Um, and with the main project you worked on in the program being a farm business plan that you know you could hypothetically present to a bank to get you know funding, mm-hmm. um, and which some people in my program did, like they took their farm business plan made some alterations to it, but, and then actually, you know, applied it. So that's cool. That was kind of how that they were kind of like forming that. That was the main goal behind the program. For me, I looked at it as a way to kind of finally get something on my resume that had something to do with farming mm-hmm. um, and the education, in the education section. Cause I wasn't about to go back for a four year degree. Um, I felt like I learned too much in two and a half years that like I'd actually be slowing myself down by going back to school. Um, so this program ended up being a couple hours in a lecture hall or in a small classroom, presentations from each week just had a theme, you know, like weed management, pest management, um, crop rotation, pest, livestock. Pest, pest management week, you guys talk about Brad Marchand. Yeah, yep, yep, the biggest pest. Hockey jokes. Um, uh, and then, so each week always had a theme. It was like 30 classes. We did five of those uh, classes were full-day tours to different parts of Michigan to visit farms. So we did a, a Detroit trip where we visited five farms in Detroit um, to see kind of urban farming, nonprofits, how they worked there. Um, we visited Ann Arbor and saw some different farms in Ann Arbor. You know, So we got to a chance to actually see how other people were doing it too. Um, people doing livestock, um, people doing you know just vegetables, just microgreens, or people doing like an urban you know quarter acre, super tight plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the one of the things that was really enticing to me. It was because I felt like I'd always learned the most when I just saw how someone else did something. Right. Um, and no, and honestly, I've worked at three farms now. 
if you count all four, I guess if you count the one at Michigan State too. And, you know, there's definitely similarities, but all of them have different ways to do certain things. Um, and basically that program was awesome. I actually really enjoyed the the four days of working, one day of class setup that I had going on, um, the connections and people that I met through it, just the resources they opened up to. I mean, I have like a, a USB drive full of just stats and things to know about, you know, what the main pests for something are, the best way to get rid of weeds and um, for certain crops. And that was basically it for the program. Um, but, and I did, I did do a farm business plan. Not that I've, I haven't applied it or anything yet, but I do technically still have it. Um, and that was it pretty much. And then for gotcha. me, luckily the connections that I had met through that program got me to roll into a, a management position the next year at a farm last year. Um, but I feel like for farm education, it, it rarely stems from a university or institution. Right. Uh, it's got to, I mean, it's so much just, you got to do it and learn it by yeah. being in, in, in the dirt, so to speak. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why so many farms offer apprenticeships and internships is to one, because they can underpay you <laughs> and they get your labor, which is very common. Yeah. Um, but there are some that are very, very good at teaching as well. And for those ones that do, that's where a lot of people who go on to start their own farms are um, getting all the knowledge to do that. Because right. you talk to anyone that started a farm, most of them have worked on farms for a while and thought, you know, I've seen how it's done. Now I right. know how I want to do it. Or, you know, um, I see a, a, an open market, you know, and I want to step into it. But is that, that was pretty much it is for Is that me. what you so, want to do? I'm still very unsure. On, I think I'd love to have my own farm. Um, at some point I had visions of, I've had many visions of different types of farms I'd like to do. Um, my, my project for the program was a, a flower farm. Um, I saw that working at the farm in Ann Arbor, that that was a, a good market. Um, it was a different style of farming, but it was rarely, a lot um, less, a lot less snacking while harvesting, a lot less snacking while harvesting, but, um, Probably the main difference, it's about the main difference, but also yeah. you can make a ton of money per uh, on a smaller plot doing flowers. So I thought about that. I thought about kind of the farm I'm at right now is really reopened the idea of pairing up with a restaurant and being a farm to table restaurant. Um, right. The relationship there is just awesome. The, the possibilities. Um, I used to think that I wanted to be you know, a farm that was on the scale of the one in Ann Arbor where you're using tractors, but now I'm at one where we rarely use a tractor. Everything's done by hand. And to me, this seems like, you know, now that I'm at this farm, I'm realizing like, you know, maybe this is the future of how you have a one or two acre plot, but you make, you know, $150,000 in sales, uh, off an acre. Um, those things are all possible. So now it's very much trying to figure out which one is the thing that I actually want to do. Right. But it's also hard to, to give up on the whole, you know, working on other farms and learning more because the second you kind of tackle your own farm, you kind of zone in on that and you, right. you spend less time learning from other people yeah, unless you make an effort. There's probably like a sweet spot of where like you you want to spend enough years learning from other people and getting a really wide um, array of experiences, but then you probably start to hit some diminishing returns where it would make more sense if it's the path you want to go on to start your own thing and start applying that in your own um, on your own farm. Yeah, and so that's where I'm trying to like figure out right now. I mean, this this was taken because we moved to a new place, but it's been it's right. still continuing to feel educational, which is nice, um, especially because it's a, a totally new model of farming for me. But um, I really don't know. I feel like I'm sure halfway through this year or later, you know, we do this po- if this podcast continues going down the road, I'll have a uh, another whole viewpoint on what kind of farming that I want to do or 
hopefully I, that I want to continue farming, but okay. I would say right now I do. Cool. Well, we'll we'll come back to that at the end of of season one. Yeah. How many episodes is that? I don't know. Probably to whenever whenever you're like done for the year. Oh yeah, that'd be good. That that makes sense, but, right? Like I don't have a done point because I work inside. I'm an indoor human, uh, and the seasons don't affect us. But you, you know, you'll you'll get a point at the sometime in the end of the fall, I presume, where you're winding it down. So maybe that's when we end season one. And there's a hiatus after season one, and we wait until I start farming again. Or? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll do uh, we'll do season two. Why not? We'll see how season one goes first. That's a good point. No, there's actually that's the nice thing. There's a natural flow and start and end point to it as well. So, yeah. um, but I think this this winter might be interesting because I might do some some maple sugaring uh, out here. That's cool. So I feel like that'd be a, good, a new experience. That's to talk a good about. teaser for for the next episode. <laughs> That's a good teaser that, for is that the verb? December. Is that the verb that you maple you sugar you you maple sugar? It's, no, you, it's just called sugaring. Sugaring. Ugh. Yeah. You don't like that? <laughs> no. Well, is it tapping? Totally... Don't you tap the trees? Yeah, you could call it tapping as well. Does that sound much better to you? Yes. <laughs> tapping and sugaring. Um, it's not much of a teaser when that won't happen until February. So. Okay. Well, it's a teaser it, for season two. It's a pre <laughs> pre teaser. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. All right. Cool. Well, that was that was interesting. I didn't know um, all of that. So thanks for sharing. No problem. Do you want to talk about your farming uh, education? My farming this education is talking to you. <laughs> That's fair enough. We learned that in the first episode. I did. We we learned a lot just in that one that one yeah. thirty minute session. P tendrils and transplants, transplants, <laughs> and all sorts of things. Yep. All right. Well, uh, I think it's a good place to end for today. All right. We'll tackle your, uh, your, your, how you ended up where you are at some point too. All right. That was a lot of that was a lot of me talking about my farming experience. So. Yeah. Sorry. That was that was good. And I think this is a good place to ask folks is if they if they enjoy this podcast to to share it with a friend, right? That, that'd that'd be you, nice. Would that make you happy if if, if they shared it with a friend? That'd make me pretty happy. It is nice to hear people saying that they've listened to it. Um, it's nice for to get some feedback as well. So that makes me think it's, been, should, it's been a good. Should we good set week. up uh, an an email address so people can send feedback? Yeah, we should do that. We can. Uh, you're the kind of guy to set that thing up, but I, right. I wouldn't doubt that we can probably get fields of work or fields of work podcast. We'll figure it out at a, at Gmail or something. But um, in case anyone ever has uh, a prompt or something they want us to talk about. For now, um, let's just do uh, let's just do ratings and reviews on iTunes. That would be helpful. That'd be nice too. Yeah. So. All right. But, cool. Well, uh, so my my last question for you: What do you get, Little Caesars tonight? You know what? I thought we were gonna record yesterday. I jumped. We had pizza last night. I had pizza last night too. <laughs> I might also have oh pizza tonight God. though too. I'm not sure what we're doing for dinner yet, but I already ate leftover pizza once today. But uh, it was good. We can we can talk more about it in the future. <laughs> We're still testing the limits of what the pizza is around here. Yeah, so. I'm gonna want to. I'm gonna have to get a download on how that's going at some point. Okay, it's you know what I'm gonna be honest. This will be my first review. It's a little disappointing. Hmm. It's always disappointing until you find the one. That's true. That is true. I know what, I've, there's been one. There's been one good one for sure. But we'll talk about that in the future on our pizza cast. All, all you need is one. Oh, that's a good idea. That's the podcast that I. Oh, all right. Anyway. <laughs> We're done. See you next week. See you, man. See you, man. <laughs> Bye.